Uh, Our first reading comes from page 47 of the big book. We needed to ask ourselves, but one short question. Do I now believe, or am I even willing to believe, that there is a power greater than myself? As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. It has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. And again, that's chapter four, We Agnostics, page 47. I would now like to introduce Colleen Kay from Sydney, Australia, to share for 15 minutes. Colleen, can you hear us? Can you hear me? Yay. Good morning, everybody. My name is Colleen, and I'm an alcoholic. Thank you for asking me to do this. Oh, my God. Um, just thinking about all the people who are, who are out there, I can feel you. When that music was playing, I just sort of went over to the edge of the bed and just kind of sat there. And I said, God, what would you have me be? Who do you want me to be? What talk do you want me to give? Because I've got the Colleen talk. And the Colleen talk never goes very well because it's highly interested in building Colleen. And we just simply can't have any of that. Um, so step two for me and remember, this, this is a long process for me to come to a conceding to my innermost self, that self as a power is a failed power. And, you know, you look at my first year, you look at my fifth year, you look at my 10th year, you look at my 17th year, you look at my 20th year. I'm now 31 years sober. You look, you look all along that path and what you've got is Colleen is not convinced, okay? I didn't want to not be convinced. I didn't, I didn't not want to do step three. I didn't not want to do step two. It's just that the power of self was so overwhelmingly powerful. And as, as Anthony DeMello, if you've ever read Way to Love, if you're trying to get unsnagged from self, I would highly recommend it. It's one of my go-to books. Talks about the programming of society is so strong and so powerful. It's, it's the, the rapids that I'm trying to swim against because I thought money, property, prestige, building self, all of those things was, was what I had to have in order for me to be okay. I don't know where along the way in my alcoholism, my brain got configured so that I really believed I, I absolutely had to get it together on the outside. And when it talks about driven, oh my God, was I driven. So I would go to your AA meetings when I would skid into some difficulties with self-will run riot. I would go skidding into the Alcoholics Anonymous meetings and then I hear something and I would be, ah. And every little piece along the way that I heard was, and self is a failed power, (laughs) and self is a failed power. And they said things like, I think I was four years sober at the time. If you're still stealing things from work, e.g. pens, paper, long distance telephone calls, if you're still weaseling around like that, it's because you don't trust this power that you're going to have enough. So if I look at my dishonesty along the way, my dishonesty was always based on Colleen's got to grab and grip and grind in order to get what Colleen thinks she needs to be okay. And I remember my sponsor saying to me at one point, 
it's something that I was devastated and disappointed about that I wasn't getting. Um, and it was all behind good motives of, but this is my dream. But this is my heart's desire. This is what I've thought about since I was a little girl. All that kind of thing is so dangerous because it's so sweetly wrapped up in pink. It's so sweetly wrapped up in such a con package. I buy the con. It's me that believes the delusion, right? That, that, that my motives are good just because they're wrapped up in their Colleen's hopes and dreams. And I remember my sponsor saying to me, she said, um, but what if it's not what God wants you to have? And, and my first thought was, I don't care. I want it. That was my first thought. And my sponsors started to teach me that my first thought couldn't be trusted, that it was my first thought that needed to be taken into the corrective measures in the evening review. See, an entire chunk for me of the step two, and remember, it's building all along. It'll continue to build for me for the next quarter of a century. It's all connected to what I'm doing to cultivate that God consciousness. And I mean, I started out, it talks about, you know, effective spiritual structure can be built. If I look at Colleen's recovery easily in the first five years, my spiritual structure was based on um, fakeness, really. I mean, I would sit there and do the third step prayer and yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 thine, thou, thou, thine, whatever, whatever. Okay, fine, fine, fine. But I would, I would only be cornered into that along the way because my sponsor would constantly be dragging me back. And the story I'd always tell myself is, hmm, she takes this stuff just a little bit too seriously. I need to get a non-fundamentalist AA sponsor (laughs) way too seriously. And that's a really important thought for an alcoholic to have a look at. In fact, I would encourage anybody, throw that into your evening review. What are the cynical thoughts regarding Alcoholics Anonymous? Because we got plenty of them and we build cases. Um, I had a sponsee last week, nine years, 10 years sober. Um, she, She quit. AA and I laughed my head off and I was like okay so she left all the whatsapp groups and and I was like okay well whatever but like there's there's no other restaurant there will be no other food that will be served to you like good luck with that and when she was saying she came back so it's really important for me to know that when I'm in negativity and when I'm in cynicism I'm in self And that is so dangerous. It's dangerous because it sets me up for a drink and I don't even realize it. So one of the things that I did along the way, um, look, I broke every single moral law that was on offer out there. I mean, I was was, um, sleeping with the married man. I was um, uh, ending up with $24,000 credit card debt. I was fired from 19 jobs. I was um, I was filled with rage and resentment towards my alcoholic father, who was powerless over his illness. But you see, the God consciousness in Colleen <clears throat> had not caught up to understanding that yet. So why did I continue to suffer behind those ideas in my first five to ten years? 
Well, the truth of the matter is looking back, and this isn't about guilt for anybody, but I really was not working a hard enough Alcoholics Anonymous um, program. I, I really could have spared myself probably the $24,000 credit card debt, um, probably the panic attack um, hospital visits, three of them. I could have spared myself, I believe, all of that stuff or not, but this is my delusional theory that I could have spared myself that if I really had taken very seriously what this step three is trying to teach me. And, you know, when you go, you know, there's like, there's the first time you do the step three. And if you're really graced and blessed with an amazing sponsor, you really do surrender and concede. I didn't, I did that in a very shallow and superficial way. But when I did it in a deeper way, which was to really sit with that page 60 at the bottom where it talks about, am I convinced that a life based on self can hardly be a success? When I really take a look at that, how many times have I cried and been in the fetal position and been convinced and then still go out and do it all? So I'm still on 61, I'm using all the tools, you know, kind, sweet, adorable, charming, wonderful, you know, or she's mean, egotistical, selfish, and all those things, right? But the show, the show had to look a certain way. And, and the truth of the matter is, is that I was in a fury that the show didn't look a certain way. What I didn't realize was that the ego had its structure built of what it demanded. These are the demands of what it demanded to be okay. And that's why on a Sunday afternoon, you can be having lunch or dinner with your family and you're in negativity and cynicism. And what, is this what it's about? Is this what sobriety is? It seriously? And you're like judging all the family members and you're trolling back to the past and all the mistakes they've made or worried about the future, what I'm not going to have to make me be okay. <clears throat> that's to be obsessed with the show and the show needing to be a certain way. So how can I get deep down into the, the discipline of the conscious contact with this power? Because it tells me it's my only hope, right? And so, you know, what I started to do was I started to work with maybe one hour of the day, just one hour, where it's the Emma Fox mental diet. As though a cat watches a mouse, I was watching for these thoughts. I was watching for the resentment. I was watching for the broken guilt. You know how that is? You know, somebody loses their wallet and you feel like you've stolen. It's just like, well, I didn't steal it, but why am I feeling that? Why am I having a reaction that I, I believe I've stolen? What is that? And that's all the old guilt shame when I did steal the wallet. And why is it still there? Why is it still in the submarine, why, why do I still have those missiles within me? I've got to look at them. And the reason I didn't look at them was because I didn't want to feel it. I didn't want to feel what it looked like to see Colleen as a liar, cheat, and thief, as, uh, to, to see me. And my sponsor said, you know, it's, it, the feeling's probably going to last about half an hour or maybe it lasts a day, or maybe it lasts two days, but then you get freedom for 20 years, two days of suffering, 20 years of freedom. I'm an odds-on player. Okay, I'll check it out. 
And I started to go into it, into it, into it, and start really looking at this stuff. And, you know, step three is having me look at my, um, my rage about the show. And for me, what my rage about the show was, is that I was so, um, I was so attached to what you all thought of me. I was so in bondage to the external world. And I said to God, I said, can you wake me up in this area of self-centered fear? Because it's self-centered fear. And I started for one hour each day, cat watches a mouse. All right, right now, God revealed to me what this self-centered fear looks like. Or if I'm looking at, you know, my attachment to money, property, prestige. Okay, reveal that to me once a week, one hour. And writing down what those recurrent thoughts are or observing it all. And what I started to see was I started to see that everything I did was so that you would affirm me. Everything I did was so that you would be able to tell me that I was somehow valuable, that I was somehow worth something. Um, Now, I started to see it in the way I walked. I started to see it in the way I got out of my car. Um, I even caught it this morning when I went from the window here. As soon as I was aware I was in the camera zone, I could feel it within me. So that self is is on this journey with me, okay? That level of whatever that the higher power has not taken from me, right? That brokenness, it's with me. And what I now see is that that's what contributes to my light, Do I like the suffering of it? Absolutely not. But has the power removed that in seven when I offered it up? A percentage of it has been removed. Enough for me to be able to be interested in working the program. Because each time I I step into that great reality, and you know, no, anybody who, who has sort of walked down the street and all of a sudden the shoulders are relaxed, all of a sudden... And somebody will walk by a stranger and and you feel love in your heart for them. And you're like, what's that? And that's that God essence stuff. You know, you'll be, you'll be talking to somebody and they'll be being an absolute moron and um, they'll be, you know, abusive with their language or whatever, whatever. And like, you know, you're at the shops and you see this person, they turn, they go to turn that rage on you and to be there as the God presence and to just look at them and understand. Because I know what it feels like to want to drive somebody over with, with an automobile, right? And that person's in that in that moment. And I'm not, and I can feel the holding space for that stuff. I can see. And for me, that's the God stuff. When I am, you know, I have a 21-year-old. When I can see he's being driven by, I want this, I want that, I want this. I, I can see it and I can be useful. But more importantly, I think, Part of the God stuff for me, the consciousness that, um, what's it called? It's called universal mind. The universal mind is also about the sixth sense. So in that moment, the sixth sense will go, don't say anything. Just listen, right? That's a miracle for me because I'm queen of unsolicited advice. I'm queen of, I know, I know, I know. I can tell you, ah, I have the answer to that. I have the answer to that. But This, you know, Bill Wilson calls it the czar of the heavens. A lot of people don't like that. I kind of like that. I I like the idea that there is, I think Henry Thoreau talked about the oversoul 
that there is this great universal mind, infinite love power that's very interested in helping Pauline. And I remember this guy uh, once said to me, do you know that God has counted every hair on your head and intimately knows Pauline? And that was so moving to me because I just, I just, there was a cynical part of me that just thought, what could be more naive and stupid than the religious people who believe in this God? And oh yeah, isn't that cute? God seen your hair on your head. But it isn't like that. It's that I can feel sometimes that I'm highly interested in not operating from self. And the reason why I don't want to operate from self is because it just feels wrong. You know that, you know, anybody who's done double digit sobriety is having the affair or stolen the money or doing dishonest stuff. I've done it all, by the way. Um, no, honey, I've been, I've been faithful to you. So I've been faithful to one man this whole time, which is a miracle. But anybody who's done that or is in that right now, I can see that that was the road I had to walk in order to feel what it's like to lead a life based on self. And that brokenness and that experience, I bring the table for others. And this higher power is so interested in me coming to the table for others. And that's why I think I was able to walk through all that like insane pain and suffering, you know, crawling to the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist being really, really simple and just going, the reason you had the panic attack was because you were having the affair. The reason you had the panic attack was because you stole the money. And I, I was being brought back to a life based on self. And I had no clue this was going on. You know, you come to AA, it's like, what's going on here? Oh my God. And then as time goes on, you, you realize that unless you take this seriously, there's going to be suffering. And that happy, joyous, and free exists over here in this God consciousness stuff. But what am I doing to cultivate it? What is my, what is my morning a step 11 practice? What is my evening review? And I've turned that into very, very different things. Sometimes now I'll see something during the day. Let's say it's self-violence and it can be self-violence with us. Let's say it's self-violence. That whole evening review will be a dialogue with God and me about the self-violence I'll have been doing all day. What was told to me on the feedback for that in the corrective measures was the reason I'm doing those things is because I'm, there's a perceived benefit. And what's the perceived benefit? The perceived benefit is we're still talking about Colleen. Because the St. Francis prayer talks about self-forgetfulness. I'm not very good at that. I don't know if anybody else is, but I'm not very good about that. I'm going to share one more thing, and then I think my time's up. Is somebody going to wave for my one-minute mark? Or so? Oh, you'll wave for my, I got one minute, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, as this last thing. So, um, about six years ago, my mother was diagnosed with motor neuron disease. Now, my mother was um, like the soulmate of my lifetime. She was just my cherished everything. And I simply couldn't believe that such a horrible disease, such as um, Lou Gehrig's disease, was, was what the card that we got given. And so I called, um, actually, Mike Lorenz, who's going to be speaking soon. And he gave me a prayer. And the prayer was, I have unforeseen strength and a calm spirit. 
And I said, Mike, I don't know how I'm going to be able to pull that off. I can't pull that off. This God, how could this God give Lou Gehrig's disease to my mother who never did anything, ever broke any of these self-will run riot laws in her life? This is completely wrong. This is insane. And, 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 and I just kept saying the prayer and saying the prayer and saying the prayer. And I begged God to take her away immediately. I did not want to walk through that death. I walked through that death with her. And what I saw in that walk was so much light pour into her and the power to carry her to the point where I wanted what she had. I'll leave it at that. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Colleen. Um, thank you so much. And again, it's an honor to be here. Just a reminder, if you have questions for one or more of the panelists, to post them into the Zoom chat, and we'll address those at the end of the panels for about 30 minutes for a Q&A session. Our second reading comes from page 50 of the big book. Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. They flatly declare that since they have come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power, and to do certain simple things, there's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. In the face of collapse and despair, in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. This happened soon after they wholeheartedly met a few simple requirements. Again, that's chapter four, We Agnostics, page 50. I would now like to introduce Mike L. from Louisville, Kentucky, to speak for 15 minutes. Mike, alcoholic. Are we there? Okay. Uh, Friday, September 7th, 1985, and to be here, uh, I've gotten the good fortune to be able to see my friend Colleen twice in, in a week's time, and uh, that that is a special gift. Uh, I, it says also in the chapter, deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God, and I was I was that kid. I uh, uh, came from a family that wasn't particularly religious, but I was attracted to the spirituality that I saw in my uh, both of my grandparents, and and uh, we had kind of a blended family. One was uh, uh, Baptists, and one were Catholics, and I would bet. Uh, Beg both of my grandmothers to uh, take me to church with them, and uh, I would love it. I and it did, the service didn't matter. I believed. I love it. It gave me great strength. And then, as I grow a bit older, I, I had my first drink at eleven, and I became a bit older. And uh, you know, it occurred to me that uh, if I wanted to live this spiritual life, I was going to have to do some things I didn't think I wanted to do or could do. And I was definitely going to have to not do some things I was sure I wanted to do. And uh, the way of it is, I'm not going to tell you that, hey, I can't pack the can't do this. Uh, so what I did is I made up a series of stories over time. Uh, they were mean to me. They, uh, they scared me. They were this, they were that. They never... And uh, they were all lies. And I came here with all of those lies packaged together. And uh, the job I had in step two 
was uh, essentially unpacking one of those. This is one of the where that uh, set aside prayer is so powerful because there are no ideas almost that are as damaging to me as the old ideas I have about spiritual matters. Uh, they're the ones that really limit and hobble me. Uh, so uh, I was talking with my mentor, Don, about this one time, and uh, he says, well, uh looks like at the beginning, God may have created you in his image, and you've been trying to return the favor ever since, because what I've done is created a God in my own image, a God that was just a mic with superpowers. And uh, that had brought me to a, a dead end here. I uh, So I had to find a place to get started. Uh, I was suggested to me that I do this in a very simple way. Uh, so I went, uh, went started about it. What was... What was the one thing, what was the one thing that I needed uh, from a higher power that I was going to have a, this intimate, open relationship with? And uh, the first thing that came to me after consideration was uh, God's not angry. I don't know about you, but I can't open myself up uh, to angry people. Uh, I can deal with angry people. But it's I usually uh, I've got to harden myself up some. So for me to be really open, uh, I had to believe uh, as a start that God wasn't angry. And then the second pillar in this whole situation was uh, simply uh, God doesn't think comparatively. Uh, God loves me just as much. When I'm standing in a liquor store, writing a bad check to buy a bottle of whiskey to go seduce the neighbor's wife, as he does when I'm at the Salvation Army trying to help a newcomer. Now, I get a, I get a different result and different consequences according to which one of those I'm doing. Uh, but that's not God punishing me. That's me just getting the consequences. If I step off the roof of a high building, that's got, not God punishing me when I hit the ground. It's gravity working. It's a natural consequence that flows. So God, and if I could make God love me or not love me, but if I was good, God will love me. And if I'm bad, God won't love me. Uh, see, I've just come around the barn into the back door and I'm playing God too, because that's manipulating God, wouldn't it be? So that was really important. Uh, one of the real awakenings here at one point, I uh, had a longtime sober priest in my uh, old home group. And uh, I went to Father Larry and said, uh, you know, I told him what I was trying to do here and asked for his help. And he says, you know, Mike, I do a lot of pastoral counseling in this uh, parish, and it's it's turned into a pretty rough place here. There's a lot of bad stuff going on. Uh, he says, but one thing I find when I get even the worst parents in here talking to me, if I press them, the worst of the parents will tell me they want their kids to be happy. 
So if the worst of these parents want that, they don't want them to be doctors, lawyers, all that kind of stuff. They just say, I want my kid to be happy. So if these worst of parents want their children to be happy, is it possible that God would want your happiness? And uh, in fact, he said, maybe God, is it possible that God yourself? And so that became the third pillar. And then finally, he uh, suggested, he says, Mike, is it possible? Because I shared some inventory and some experiences with him earlier. He says, is it possible that God knows what will make you happy more than you, you do yourself? See, the bottom line out of that, those inventories and then and now is they're all attempts from, by Mike to make Mike happy. And he said to me at the time, he says, if God gives you another 40 years life, you really think you can do a better job than you've done so far? I mean, he says, it doesn't look like you've been dedicated to anything else in the world. No love, no anything else uh, than you have been to your own happiness. And this is where it's brought you. So, yeah. So on that basis, I've got the beginning of a relation, foundation for a relationship with a power greater than myself that I can start to build a relationship with him. And that's so vital because uh, what, uh, what God really, God doesn't really need me to believe in me except as a precursor to having a relationship. And uh, so that's the whole thing that it's, uh, Colleen talked about it, a fortunate to share a home group and uh, sponsees and fellow home group members that uh, one of the things we'll talk about is uh, what's our current agnosticism? A lot of us have been sober for a long time, but we're, it's, you see, you know, if we turned off the sound and watched the picture and watched you move through the world and on Google Earth, would you say, oh, there's a guy who's had a spiritual awakening? There's a guy who has obviously has a relationship with the power of greater than themselves. So it's it's not all the Lord, Lord, I'm saying, and how many times I'm saying this prayer and that prayer and everything else. How am I showing up in the world? And it keeps it real and alive. The second step isn't something I did back in the beginner days, and now I'm on these advanced steps. It's It's live and active today. Because every time I tell you a lie, it's flat out agnosticism. Because I'm telling you that lie because I, I believe that if I tell you the truth, God won't care for, take care of me, or I won't get what I need and want. And that's just flat out agnosticism. It's uh, it's been an ongoing process to watch this all unwind over time, uh, because uh, well. I think it was 2006, I was at a family uh, a funeral for a family member, and I was sitting in the pew uh, waiting for the ser- funeral service to start, and my my younger sister was sitting next to me, and she's one of those disgusting people that, uh, you know, went to one college and graduated four years, 
and married one guy, and she's been working at the same place uh, for the last 33 or four years. I mean, you know, there's no excitement in the girl at all. Uh, but I'm, uh, I'm sitting next to her, and we're hearing the music start, and I turned to her, and I said, Carol, do you remember where when mom in the summers, mom had put us on that bus and we'd go off to that summer Bible camp and there was that crazy preacher out there that was slamming the Bible and telling us we were going to burn in hell and all that kind of stuff. And I noticed she's looking at me strangely. So I go, what? She says, well, Mike, I, I remember going but I just remember they told us Jesus loved us. So we rode the same bus to the same place and heard the same guy. And she heard Jesus loved her. And I heard I was going to burn in hell and all kinds of other things. So uh, whose experience are you going to trust here? Whose was more value? It was another piece of an old idea that I'd come up with. Now, the third step, uh, I know you wouldn't have done it, but I like to work it because it seemed I got a lot for doing very little. Uh, I, I could say this fancy like prayer clicked my heels three times and I was 25% way the way through the steps. And I, uh, I came to the view and the experience of, that stuck with me on this has simply been uh, the third step as in saying the third step prayer. It's like me applying to university. Uh, if I send in my application to Harvard, Harvard, Harvard may respond and say, Mr. Lorenz, we've received your relationship, uh, your uh, application, uh, but we want to know a bit more about you before we admit you. Uh, the same thing, I've made a proffer, an offer to God that I'm willing to approach having a closer relationship. But God, with all his love, he says, I want you to know yourself a little better before we step into this. And I'll be with you as you discover more about yourself. And so the fourth step that leads into here from this third step that I've committed to do is not providing me with information that I'm going to use to fix myself. It's going to it's designed to crush me and convince me that there is no matter how good my intentions, no matter how powerful my prayers and desires may be, uh, that Mike will never fix Mike. And so this spiritual connect we're building over the next few steps and have already started, uh, is based on Mike not Mike not running the show here. So uh, thank you very much for allowing me to join in this wonderful celebration with you and see some old friends. And uh, uh, thank God I'm not God. Thank you, Mike. Uh, hello again to everyone. Again, my name is Chris R. And I am an alcoholic. Uh, we have one speaker left, one panelist left. Uh, quick reminder, final reminder, if you, do, if you do have questions for the panelists, to send them to the Zoom chat window, maybe delineate them with the word question or something so that the moderators can find them easily. And our third reading comes from page 63 of the big book. When we sincerely took such a position, 
all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. That's chapter five, how it works, page 63. I would now like to introduce Belinda F. uh, from, I believe, Louisiana to speak. Hi, everybody. I'm Belinda Alcoholic. Thank you so much. I'm just kind of the fill-in person today. You know, I didn't expect to be doing this. And and Damien asked me the last minute when he sent me the reading that you just read. It's like I teared up, you know, Fellowship of the Spirit um, around the country and around the world has, has been so instrumental in my life and the people in it. Um, but the, what you read was these promises, right? And I love the promises, but how does this take place? The first thing it says, when we sincerely took such a position, what kind of position is that position of quit playing God? I mean, Colleen and Mike kind of set me up for this, right? They did a marvelous job, but why do I need to quit playing God? You know, cause the truth is I don't believe, I believe I am God half the time. But when we look at a couple of pages before we get to these promises, it describes me perfectly. You know, a lot of times my motive is good. I want everybody to be happy in life to be great, right? And I'm trying to arrange the show to suit suit me, though. And if you're doing the things I think y'all should be doing, then everything's going to be great. Life would be wonderful. And Belinda, please. In the portion of 60 to 63, if I change it to Belinda, it says Belinda, me, 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 me. And that's kind of how I live my life, right? But if if you do the things I think you should, or if you're living within my value system, I'm going to be okay and I'm going to treat you nice. But as soon as somebody goes out of my value system or does something I don't think you should be doing, all of a sudden I'm going to flip and then I'm going to come out you harder. I'm going to try to control and manipulate the situation, or maybe I'm going to try to get you to think like I do. In fact, further on page uh, in those pages, it says what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world by managing well. Well, rest means seized by force. I want happiness and I want to be satisfied. I hear people say, well, you want to be right or be satisfied. I want both. But what's happening is I'm stepping on the toes of my fellows and they're retaliating. And I think I think life's coming at me, but it's not. It's coming from me because I'm pushing harder. And the the harder I try, the worse things get. And the worse things get, the harder I try. And on top of page 62, oh, my God, this portion describes me sober, you know, because when I see I'm powerless, my life's unmanageable and and I'm insane. My thinking's not right. The problem centers in my mind. I need to get connected to the power. And then it says selfishness, self-centeredness. That is the root of my trouble. The root, the soul sickness on the inside, the selfishness, self-centeredness. And one of my favorite lines in the big book, it says the alcoholic, and that's me, I'm alcoholic. I'm an extreme example of self-will run riot. Oh, so I usually don't think so. I think it's y'all. I think y'all are. It can't possibly be me. Besides, my motive's good. And this is repeated over and over in my life. And I like what Mike just said. It's like he's got to keep revisiting that step too. I mean, I do too. I got to get, you know, look at step one and two, because when I look at this once again in my life, I'm playing God. I'm trying to arrange everything further down right here. It says, 
Um, so this is the how and why of it. But, well, I'm sorry, let me go back. It says self-will run riot. That's me, though I don't think so. Well, how can I get rid of the selfishness? Well, I can't wish it away just like I couldn't wish alcohol away. I have to have God's help. And then it says, so we had, we had to have God's help. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. I tried to play God my entire life. And I can still try to do that sober. Little disturbance, right? And I'm like, all of a sudden I'm playing God because I think I know. The thinking I know is what gets me in trouble. When I think I know how everything in life should be. And then it says uh, it didn't work. But then next we decided that hereafter in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. And I forget that often. I think I'm the director of everybody's life. And all I'm trying to do is rest satisfaction and happiness out of this world by managing well. And a lot of times what I'm trying to manage is the ick on the inside, that soul sickness. Right. And I think this whole process and step three can do this as well as a transformation, a healing of the soul sickness. And it's like the journey through this, because how can these promises come true? Like it says, when I sincerely took the position, I quit playing God. When I finally surrender to whatever I've got going on again, it's like, all right, you know, and the only reason I'm going to do that is because I'm disturbed. I'd like to say I, I don't do this stuff to get relief. I do a lot of stuff to get relief. But what happens is when I do that and I see, sincerely surrender and quit playing God at whatever area of my life, the change happens within me. But if I'm trying to go out here, it doesn't work out here when I try. If I don't go within, I'm going to go without. So I, I like the end of that and promises too. It says we were reborn. Thank God I didn't get my old life back. Thank God my life wasn't like it was six weeks ago or last year or six years ago or 11 years ago. The transformation can continue to happen. You know, a lot of people go straight to the third step prayer, right? But there's such a meat in this stuff. And when I'm looking at how my, my life is driven by selfishness and self-centeredness and I'm um, I'm just like warring through people's lives sober like a tornado. And then I'm thinking y'all are coming at me, but it's not. It really is coming from within. So through this process, I got to keep going within. I got to continue to self-examine because when I see I'm an extreme example of self what one run riot, well, then maybe I'm like, oh, all right, God, have this area of my life too. It's not just about when I first got sober. Well, that was obvious, right? But on a daily basis, I got to continue to stay awake and aware to what's really going on with me, what's happening on the inside. You know, I know how to get mad. That's kind of a go-to thing for me. But the truth is I got to self-examine. When I get mad, I'm playing God because the truth is I'm full of fear and I got to figure out what the fear is so that I can go back to God. When it says in the actual step, it says we got to, turn our will and our lives. That's my thinking and my actions. You know, there's a lot of things I don't want to do, even sober. And there, but, they, but those are usually the things that I have to do. I like right here when it says, um, we had a new employer. He, God's the one who's powerful. It also says in the, in the big book, lack of power is my dilemma. I need to stay connected to this power. And it says, um, if we kept close to him and performed his work well, what does that mean? Well, one, to be of service, but how can I possibly 
practice these spiritual principles, the whole program of recovery is talking about, if I don't continue to self-examine and continue to quit playing God, but I have morals and philosophical convictions galore, I can't live up to it even though I'd like to. And in the third step prayer, when it talks about the bondage of self, that is me, my ideas, my knowing, when I think I know. It's not, you know, even sober, it's not a self-knowledge program. Self-knowledge doesn't work for me. The the people in this program and, and, and that belong to Fellowship of the Spirits and do a lot of those conferences, they always constantly are reminding me. I can hear Mary T, you know, Belinda, this isn't self-knowledge. This isn't an intellectual process. It's a spiritual process. And so for me, it's the journey of having to keep going over this over and over again. When these come up, try to stay awake and aware. And I do use, obviously, the other steps in order to try to stay awake and aware. And then when the, you know, the prayer, I'm offering myself to God, all of me, the good and the bad, to do with me as God will. It's like, take away my difficulties. What are my difficulties? That's the ick on the inside. The character defects or the shortcomings, the things that stand me in the way, stand in the way of me being useful to God and my fellows. It's like when I think of bondage, it's like wrap myself up in chains, you know, put my ankle, uh, wrist in them, my ankles in them, and wrap me up. The bondage is just holding me down from being that vessel, because if I'm not the vessel of God, I, I'm gonna go back to living the complete opposite of what the Saint Francis prayer talks about. I need you to love me. I need you to forgive me. I need you to comfort me. And what is all that again? And that's me playing God. The ego, I, you know, I hate using the word ego when people would first use that word. It would like, I would defend it. But ego is edging God out. I'm either better than you or less than you. But how can I get that, that, that um, false pride away? That, and let the, God, the, the true self, which is of God, reveal it. it. Reveal itself is to try to go back and continue on a regular basis, praying and asking God to relieve me of this bondage of self, this selfishness and self-centeredness. What's really going on with me? I got to watch for my attitude and my actions so that I can have an opportunity to grow closer to my creator one day at a time. I don't struggle. I don't live my life one day at a time trying not to drink. The problem's been removed. Those promises in the 10th step, they come true for me. These promises in the third step, they come true for me when I'm sincerely taking the position of I'm not playing God anymore. So today I try to live that one day at a time, keep going back to my creator, asking my creator for help. Not long ago, my sponsor, I was telling her, I just want to love, you know, I just want to love. I want to be loving. I want to be tolerant. I want to be kind. And she said, you know, Belinda, you can't. You lack the power. And I'm like, well, wait, I thought that's what love and tolerance is my code. I'm supposed to be this person. And she said, no, your job is to stay unblocked from the power so that the power can love through you, so that the power can forgive through you. So the power can comfort through you. And that's why when I, when, when Damien sent me this today, right before, well, after this kind of started, it's so true. More and more, we become interested in seeing what we can contribute for, to life. I don't do that on my own power. I feel new power flow in. I enjoy a peace of mind. I drink for a peace of mind. 
I can face life successfully, stumbling along the way. And I begin to lose my fear of today, tomorrow, and then air after. And one day at a time, I can be reborn. Thank y'all. Y'all taught me that. Y'all shared your experience with me. Y'all walked me through these things. One day at a time, one moment at a time. And throughout my day, I try to quit playing God. And when I continue to play God, I can just keep going back and doing this program. Keep going back. God, please help me. Remove the selfishness and self-centeredness so that I can be of maximum service to you, God, and my fellows. Thank you. That's all I have.